Americans have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Welcome back to the Tough Buckets podcast, where bombshell trade just went down. The Pistons send Marvin Bagley and Isaiah Livers to the Wizards. I'm just kidding. That's not the big trade that happened today. But that that is the that is the first trade that started off uh, the trade chaos that's going to take place in the next couple months here. Uh, the big trade we got to talk about today is Pascal Siakam getting sent to the Indiana Pacers in a package that included uh, Bruce Brown, Jordan Nuora, and three first-rounders. That's what Adrian Wojnarowski reported. That's what our Sam Kavan also reported in our group chat right away, right when the news broke. So we were on top of it right away. Uh, we'll talk. I think we'll save that towards uh, the middle or end of the podcast. That is the big news in the NBA world. But I think we wanted to start off with a little bit of NFL wildcard action it wasn't the best slate of games the matchups were good it just uh the results of the games weren't the best weren't that ideal there was only really one game that you know came down to the wire and had people at the edge of their seats but I'll throw it to Jason uh he's probably got some takeaways from the wild card round including some from our Steelers which depressing weekend watching that game but I mean I think we saw it coming yeah yeah I mean we talked we talked a little bit before the game and I think you gave me a call earlier that day um, and asked, you know, what I was thinking and how I was feeling. And I don't know, I, I described it as cautiously optimistic, but deep down, uh, I think it was just the fan inside of me, you know, truly believing, you know, that we had a shot against the Bills on the road. And then the whole fiasco of having it move from Sunday to Monday and, and uh, everything that surrounded that, you know, I, I don't know if that helped or hurt. I mean, there's so many factors that play in to something like that when you're ready to play a game and then, you know, they postpone the game and then you're sitting around your hotel room and, you know, it's just it just had to be a weird feeling. I mean, that's something that just doesn't happen, you know, to those guys very often. But I think deep down, I knew that it was going to be a big challenge, especially without TJ, you know, him getting hurt in the Baltimore game and then not being ready to go for the Bills game. I mean, that didn't help us. I'm not making excuses because, you know, I don't know if we end up winning that game on the road with him, even if he is able to play. But I think, you know, you can make an argument that he would have made a difference in trying to help contain uh, the beast that is Josh Allen. And I mean, I, I, witnessed that 52-yard run and just thought to myself, a quarterback in the NFL should never run for a 52-yard touchdown. And I mean, I, I acknowledge the fact that Josh Allen is, is not your typical quarterback with his size and speed, but come on, man. I mean, NFL linebackers and safety should not allow a quarterback to run for a 52-yard touchdown. And that, well, oh, go ahead, Jake. That's the, that's the thing. We NFL linebackers don't usually do that, but the Steelers were down to practice squad linebackers yeah. because the the only starting caliber linebacker on the team at this point, inside linebacker, I should say, was uh, Landon Roberts, who is also right. still banged up. He was hurt pretty much all season. We're missing Cole Holcomb 
and uh, Landon Roberts, Cole Holcomb, and who's the other one? I can't remember the other one's name, but he he got. Yeah, hurt. we lost three start. Uh, we lost the three. The top three on the depth chart at middle linebacker were all lost for the season. So I mean, yeah, we were definitely. we we were really thin at linebacker, and you know, credit to the Bills because they just attacked that seven to ten yard. Uh, range uh, the of the middle of the field typically where you're going to get linebackers to drop in coverage and then they, you know oh, and yeah. then they also did it with the run game and Josh Allen and they just completely exploited the fact that the Steelers you know were 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 just down to practice squad guys at linebacker and ultimately you know that's what I it was really a miracle that we were able to win 10 games with the injury. Yeah. And they really didn't play that bad. I mean, they yeah. gave him a decent game. Right. Right. And it was good to have, and it was I, good to have Minka uh, back there at safety to kind of, you know, captain that defense a little bit and try and get everybody in the right positions. But you could tell there were different parts throughout the game that the bills were specifically targeting those guys uh, and and you know that's ultimately what led to the 21 point lead I, I was happy to see the fight you know we did come back and had a legitimate you know opportunity to get right back into the game but unfortunately turnovers you know and untimely red zone turnovers reared their ugly head again and it was just too much to overcome you know there at the end of that game yeah I mean, Josh Allen sees one-on-one coverage with Miles Jack on Dalton Kincaid. He's, yeah. He doesn't think about anything else besides throwing him that ball, which is the right decision. Josh Allen might be the best quarterback in football not named Lamar Jackson. Uh, I, I, it's it's looking like it. I mean, he runs just as good as Lamar. And the, the other thing I wanted to mention was that slide that, uh, that he took and got hit on by Miles Jack. Yeah. He just lowered the shoulder and trucked DeMonte Casey like two right, plays before that. Right. It's like you gotta you gotta officiate quarterbacks a little differently when they are run first and and they take on contact all the time. And when he, when they bail, I mean the Miles Jack was going in for the tackle and already started his forward motion before Josh Allen started to slide. So it's yeah. like you're in a defenseless position. We can talk. I mean, everyone knows that that debate and that topic but it's that's something that drives me crazy especially with quarterbacks that are willing to take on contact and uh slide so late on a play and you know get that extra what is it 10 15 yards right penalty right I don't even know what the penalty is exactly for for hitting a sliding quarterback but you know the better team won Buffalo is uh one of the best teams in the AFC and uh their fans are also pretty cool too I like seeing the videos of them jumping through tables yeah those guys are those guys are crazy, and uh, it, it's going to be a tough chore uh, for the defending Super Bowl champions to go in there and win this weekend. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a great game. But if I had to pick uh, the winner out of that game based on what I saw over the weekend, I, I'm taking the home team. I, I think the Bills can finally exercise the demons. Uh, from past Kansas City Chiefs games and finally uh, finally get the dub and move on to the AFC Championship game. Definitely. And in the, in the NFC, I was really happy to see Baker uh, get the win and move on to the second round. I think he's now up to four playoff wins, and his former team, the Browns, are still at <laughs> zero. Zero. So I think he's he gets the last laugh there. But I did want to throw it to Sam. I just wanted to see what you thought about 
the first week uh, of playoff action in the NFL? Uh, yeah, well, um, like many fans across the country, it was very entertaining seeing the uh, back-to-back days of meltdowns from the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I if you would have told me the Eagles would have lost, I wouldn't have been that surprised. They were really looking rough at the end of the season there. Um, I didn't expect to lose by that much. And the Cowboys, that was easily the most surprising game of wild card weekend. Uh, not only did really no one think they were going to lose, no one thought they were going to lose like that. I mean, outside of a couple garbage time touchdowns, that one was essentially done by halftime. And um, I don't know. I, I hate to sound like too much of a hater, but you love to see it. Um, And past that, uh, man, the Dolphins really have a tough decision coming up this offseason because they, obviously, the way their roster is constructed right now, they're not ready to truly contend for a Super Bowl berth. Um, And Tua's got one year year left on his contract. Now, typically, we've already seen uh, Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert get their giant contract extensions. So the Dolphins can let... Tua play out another year on his contract, uh, like an evaluation year. They can extend him. Uh, I have a friend at work who's a huge Dolphins fan, and he is all torn up about what he wants the team to do Um, because it's tough to say no to a guy who puts up the stats that Tua does, but then when you look at his actual on-field play and production as to winning big games, uh, they're going to have a tough decision either this summer or next summer as to whether or not to extend him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Dolphins are an interesting team. I mean, I saw a stat where they they were zero and seven in games that was that was colder than freezing this year. So I mean, maybe if they played all six or all seventeen games indoor, they might go undefeated. Because <laughs> that's I mean, if you look at their team, they are built to play like fast pace, non yes, they are contact football. Yeah, they they're fast. They get up and down the field. Even defensively, they're kind of like that too. So that was a good point there, Jake. Sam. You you could make an argument, and Sam, too, you can jump in. I, I, the Steelers and Miami find themselves in a similar predicament when it comes to the quarterback position, correct? I mean, you could make an argument that they're really sitting in, in, in the same boat. They, they really do, and I argue that now they should – Kenny Pickett's a year younger, so they should still have another year before they have to make decisions like that, correct? Right, um, right. But yep. still, like, you're looking at this team, you're like, yeah, Pickett's producing. He's certainly not, um, you know, probably not even in the bottom 10 of starting quarterbacks in the league. Uh, but what are the better – there are better options, but do you think he can get a better option or do you stick with a quarterback who can win you games as long as everyone else is good? Like, he's not going to lose you any games. You might not win any big games. It's a tough – it's a really tough spot to be in as an NFL franchise. Yeah, and I think the to wrap up the Steelers talk, I know we end up going on too long, and Sam is probably like, geez, guys, <laughs> no, get over you're it all good. But, but uh, the number one question with the Steelers, uh, I think, is the Mike Tomlin question. And he was asked about uh, his contract being up and whether or not he plans to be with the team next year, and he ended up just walking off uh, out of the press conference room, which in Tomlin fashion, that's to be expected. I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, T.J. Watt came out and said, I don't want to play for anyone else. I respect him as a leader and a coach. Uh, I hope he – I don't know if he said that. He said that first part, but I think T.J. hopes he doesn't go anywhere. George Pickens reposted that on his Instagram today. I saw 
all the players are behind Tomlin. That's not a question. The only thing that needs to change is, you know, player input and the rules. Najee Harris, after the game, uh, was quoted saying that there needs to be changes uh, with the way the team is run. And I totally agree. I think Jason, and even as an outsider uh, looking in, Sam can recognize that. There's got to be schematic changes. And the Steelers started that process this year in firing Matt Canada. And I think that it's only going to get better going into next year. I don't think Tomlin's going anywhere. No, and he actually announced uh, this morning, I don't know if you saw it, Jake, but he met with the team and said that he is coming back for his 18th season. Oh, is so, he? I didn't see that. Uh, yep. Yeah, he he officially made the announcement this morning that he is going to return. And all I have to say about that is I, I'm going to be behind Tomlin 100% no matter what. Uh, because number one, I think he's a good coach. And then number two, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? Because you think the easy thing to do is, oh, let's fire the coach. Well, the grass isn't always greener. Correct. Are you going to be able to find someone to replace him that's going to be able to produce a better result? And Philadelphia fan, I mean, I'm so tired of Philadelphia fan, number one, because it's Philadelphia. But number two, they're ready to run Nick Sirianni out of town. I mean, they are ready to fire, ready to fire yeah, him. A fan yes. actually dumped they made, popcorn they on made him it, in the tunnel. I yeah. saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They made it to the Super Bowl last year and were 10-1 and and the Super Bowl favorites after 11 games. Yeah, were the last seven games not pretty? Yeah, it, it, was, it was ugly. I mean, and, and the way they exited the playoffs was had to be super frustrating but you're ready to run the guy off I mean let's have let, let's be a little realistic here and like Jake said you got to be careful with stuff like that because who you end up with might be worse than what you had yeah you don't want to get into the game of revolving door of coaches coming in and out and having mediocre season after mediocre season and it's easy as an outsider looking into the Steelers franchise to be like, well, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season, but he has one playoff win in the last eight years, which is true. Right. But you have to look at the circumstances. The last like eight years, not counting this season in the last, he was dealing with Ben Roethlisberger as a starting quarterback, which he was there because, you know, it's a respect thing. It was his team for so long. And really, you can't find that much better of a quarterback. You don't want to move on from him because he can still play and he's still a good leader in the locker room. So Ben Roethlisberger sticking around the last six years, he has a ceiling. He's not going to be able to produce at the rate he was in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. So you already have a cap there. And the Steelers, as an organization, were not proactive in finding a replacement for him. I mean, we just saw what happened with Mason Rudolph. He didn't play for like three years. Ben Roethlisberger didn't really (laughs) want to apprentice him and and lead him and teach him how to be a good quarterback. And that's the thing that a franchise like Green Bay – Brett Favre ushered in Aaron Rodgers, both of them great, all-time great quarterbacks. And now look who's the quarterback. Jordan Love, he was behind Aaron Rodgers for, what, one to two years, learning how to be a great quarterback and leader. And the media media wants to make it seem like Aaron Rodgers wasn't a good mentor for him and never wanted him to succeed, but that's all crap. They're still good friends, and there's a reason why Jordan Love is balling out right now and is looking like Mm -hmm. one of the bright young quarterbacks in the league. So that's that's on the Steelers as an organization, and maybe that can fall on Tomlin a little bit for not being proactive and finding the quarterback. But that's that's what it comes down to is the quarterback play because if you don't have 
consistent high-level quarterback play, there's a ceiling to how good your team can be, no matter how good of a coach you are. Like, it's not basketball where, you know, Eric Spolstra can coach a team with very minimal talent and make them good. It's, It's just not the same because it all rides on one player that has the ball every single snap, and he has to make the decisions to win you games. So I'm tired of hearing Mike Tomlin isn't a good coach. I'm standing behind him 100%. Anyone that thinks he needs to get out of town, just they just don't know enough about the situation. So that's all I have to say on that. Uh, yeah, I'll just Agreed. cut in real quick. As a Chargers fan, I would have very gladly had Mike Tomlin this past season. So I'll just leave it there. <laughs> Sam, if you would have stolen Mike Tomlin from the Steelers, I'd have to take a break from football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, um, yeah. Chargers coaching search going on too, and if Mike Tomlin popped up as an option, I would gladly take that. But um, how about the other Mike, uh, Mike Vrabel from the Titans? Could be, uh, especially now that the Patriots went a different direction after Belichick departed. Um, I don't know if the Chargers have interviewed him yet because all of these um, teams are required to post or make known when they have interviews. So I don't know if they've done that yet. Uh, I certainly wouldn't hate that as an option. He was pretty solid in uh, Tennessee. Right. Right. Well, is there anything else you guys wanted to cover in the NFL before we jump into uh, the NBA? Yeah, let's talk to trade. Sweet. Yeah, let's jump right into it. Uh, So like I said, Pascal Siakam going to the Indiana Pacers. I'm shout out to Austin. We were talking about this last night, actually, before I went to bed, uh, because there were some rumors popping out last night that the teams were in talks. Both Austin and I agreed that maybe three first-rounders for an expiring Pascal Siakam with his contract being up after this season maybe isn't the smartest move. But now that it's set in stone, and I I don't think you make the trade unless you kind of have that, you know, that nod from Siakam that, you know, he's likely to resign there if he finds success uh, initially. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm all right with it in that aspect. And plus three first-rounders, I mean, teams gave up four for – teams were offering four and – and five for DeJounte Murray and Rudy Gobert and Pascal Siakam is better than both of those players. So I don't have a problem with that. Bruce Brown was is a good player, but he was shooting 32% from three. And, you know, you, you're replacing that with Pascal Siakam. So, you know, that's that part is taken care of. But I do, I really do like this fit with him and Halliburton. Even when Halliburton's off the floor, Pascal Siakam has shown himself to be a, a serviceable ball handler at that stretch four position. I think he fills a lot of holes for this Pacers team defensively, especially. Uh, he's going to play. He's going to love the pace of play. Uh, ironically, the Pacers play at a very fast pace. I think he's going to thrive in that environment and offense. And I, I mean, we can speculate all we want, but I, when you can add an all-star to a team that is looks ready to take the next step and has depth already, I think you just you pull the trigger on that. So... I don't know, Sam, what were your initial thoughts on this trade? Yeah, my initial thoughts were, I I think I'm glad that both teams, uh, both the primary teams involved in the deal and the Raptors and the Pacers have committed to directions. Like we said, um, was it last trade deadline around there where the Raptors dealt for uh, Jakob Pertl and we were just confused on why they would do that. Like they gave up like a first round pick for him, didn't really make sense, Uh they fully committed to this rebuild now in Toronto. I mean, they've gotten rid of OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, who are both on expiring deals. And the Raptors, like, uh, Siakam's contract, the Supermax that he wants, that it sounds like he's willing to stay in 
Indiana, after this season, and Indiana's willing to pay him, is going to start at $52 million a year. So if you're the Raptors and you're kind of forced into paying that to keep him, that's a high price for a guy who might probably isn't able to be the best player on a championship team. I mean, just straight up, maybe the second best, but I'm glad they've committed to that. Uh, they picked up three first-round picks. We're looking at the Raptors now. They're, if they can get a top-six pick on draft lottery day, which right now they're projected to finish uh, sixth, so they'll have this number six pick. They'll have Indi- Indiana's pick, which is going to be 18, as it's projected right now. And then Oklahoma City's pick, which is 27th. And then, again, Detroit's second-round pick at 31st, so the first pick in the second round. So that's four picks there that you can, if you draft well, can all be either franchise-altering or, at the very least, contributors. Um, So I I love the direction that Toronto's moving in. And then for Indiana, we're starting to see the core of how they're going to want to compete for a championship for the foreseeable future form. Um, you look ahead at their contract stuff, and they'll still have a little bit of cap room even after uh, Tyrese Halliburton's next contract takes into effect next season. Um, but you're looking at a starting five of Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Benedict Matherin, Siakam, and Turner. And if they can pick up one more starter-level player or just strengthen out their bench for some defensive help, maybe not this season yet, but within the next season or two, this could be a pretty scary team in the East. Yeah, definitely. And they already had depth going into this trade. They didn't even give up. They gave up two players, right? Uh, Bruce Brown and uh, who was the other one we were talking uh, Jordan about? Jordan Nwora. Uh, Nwora. Jo- Nwora. Jordan Nwora. Yeah. Right, right. So looking at their projected starting five, you got Tyrese Halliburton at the one, arguably a top one or a top two or three point guard in the league right now. You got Buddy Heald at the two, who mm, might get traded this year. He might not be on this team by the time the season's over. We'll have to see, but he does fit in nice next to Tyrese Halliburton when he can stretch the floor as good as anyone. They also have Aaron Neesmith at the three, who has emerged this year and is shooting mid-40s from three and has just become a revelation for this team. This is a player that you know, they thought he can be at the end of the bench and we can use him when we need him, but he's become and he's earned a starting spot on this team ahead of Benedict Matherin, who had an excellent rookie season last year. Then they also, you know, obviously Siakam at the four and Miles Turner at the five. And then you got Benedict Matherin, Nemhard, Obi Toppin, Jalen Smith, who's shooting 46% from three on two attempts a game, which is very nice for a four slash five. And Isaiah Jackson, they got, uh, they got a Baylor player on the team, don't they, Sam? Uh, Kendall Brown, right? Yes. They got him. They have Jarris Walker. They have a lot of talent on this team. And like Sam said, it might not show this year fully, but in the next one, two, three years, this team is, it's primed to be a top three team in the East, in my opinion. And we were high on them going into this year without Pascal on the team. Yeah. Originally, uh, everything that I was seeing uh, both last night and the day prior was if Indiana wanted to bring in Pascal, they had to give up, you know, Mathurin and Jarris Walker. That was the asking price uh, from the Raptors originally. And, you know, the Pacers obviously, you know, aren't willing to move off of either one of those uh, young guys being 21 and 20 years old. So credit to the front office you know, to put that package together with the draft picks, 
you know, to be able to keep Mathurin and Walker and still be able to bring in Pascal Siakam. Because if you look at the uh, Pacers roster, you know, yeah, I mean, do you ever want to give up three first round picks knowing that you may be giving up, you know, a potential uh, chance to draft an all-star? No, I mean, it's not optimal, but you look at the young talent on this team and the Pacers are thinking, we still have uh, Benedict Mathurin and Jarris Walker, who were extremely high on. And Jake mentioned Kendall Brown, too, out of Baylor. I think those three, they felt that those three picks were expendable based on, you know, the young roster that they have. Yeah, with the roster trending upward, I mean, those picks are going to be mid-late 20s, hopefully, if everything goes right for them, which, you know, it could go wrong, you know. Pascal and Tyrese might not work out. There is a chance that that happens. I highly doubt it. And there's a chance that they don't want to even give Pascal the max. I was talking to Sam before we started recording. That would just be the biggest disaster for Indiana because they've done this rebuild the right way. They've made all the right moves. And, uh, you know, it would just be a shame for this not to work out. So I'm really rooting for this. I'm rooting for that team. I've always liked the Pacers in the East. I, I really like Halliburton. And I'm really happy to see the success he's had this season with the team and, and him blossoming into a, a young star and a leader for that team. And, you know, they just play such a fun brand of basketball. Like we've covered in this podcast already this season about how they can put up 150 on any given night. You know, they might give up 140, but a win's a win in the NBA, just like it is in the NFL. You know, you win by any means. And I think they're going to be doing a lot more winning now that they have added a true all-star next to their their current all-star point guard and Tyrese Halliburton and you hope that Matherin evolves into a you know a, a lighted up scorer off the bench or even you can insert him into the starting lineup eventually this team just has a lot of promise and so far they've made all the right moves we're still waiting to see a mistake from this front office in the last in the last few years so yeah I think we all can agree that we we like this trade right you guys you guys pretty happy with yeah Indiana's yeah I was just gonna here? Yeah, I was going to jump in and just I was going to jump in and ask Sam. Uh, Jake mentioned, you know, the high paced, uh, fun style of basketball that the Pacers are playing kind of like a throwback to the late 70s and early 80s where teams were putting up, you know, 140 points a game. My question for Sam is Indiana's 0-9 this year when they've scored less than 110 points. I want to ask Sam, how's that going to translate when we move into May and June and we get into the playoffs, how, what, what's that going to look like when the screws are tightened and we start playing playoff basketball? Yeah. So that's why I guess I uh, should clear up when I was talking about the Pacers contending in the future, obviously they're sitting at the uh, six seed right now and, and they're still a good team this year, but I didn't even know that stat actually. Oh, and nine under 110 points. You look at a team like, uh, well, I guess my Miami Heat at the five seed there, team that loves to slow down the pace, play half-court defensive ball. If the Pacers are unable to dictate their fast-paced style, which uh, typically in the NBA offensive-based teams like that are forced to slow down, they're going to absolutely struggle, you know, uh, Jeez, I can't talk tremendously in the postseason, and especially if they can't get home court advantage. I mean, they'll be sitting at a if they're sitting at a six seed, they're looking at playing probably the Bucks or the Sixers, um, who are pretty good defensive teams with some great defensive anchors and Giannis and Brooke Lopez and Embiid, and 
that's why I'm not taking them very seriously as contenders this year, just because every NBA historical trend I've encountered has told me that this style of play is not sustainable in a playoff series. And I think they they just kind of adopted that right now because I think it's the only style that that the team that's assembled right now can play to win games. I think that's the only style that's going to win them games right now. And it's not to say that can't change in the future. Rick Carlisle has coached good defensive teams. I think they just need a couple more pieces to, you know, solidify that defense. And then they can take on a, a different brand, a different style of basketball you know, they, they might not right. even be done making moves this year. And this offseason, uh, a player that I have my eyes on that a lot of teams are probably going to be looking at in this offseason or maybe during the trade deadline this year is DeAndre Hunter. The Hawks have fallen, I think, seven or eight games below 500 now. They're not looking that good. I think they're looking to move off some guys. And we've we've all been pretty high on DeAndre Hunter and the, the player that he can be. He just signed a, a five-year, $90 million contract extension last offseason. So he's locked up under contract, and he's a 3-and-D guy that a lot of teams are going to be looking to get their hands on, I think, in the trade market. And Indiana should try to be at the top of that list, I think. I think he'd fit in really nice into that 3-to-stretch-four spot. And, you know, he can play fast. He can run in transition, but he can also, you know, get stops and and lock down an opposing team's wing player. So that's another guy. You know, even like a a Torian Prince – Mm-hmm. Uh, or wait, who's the? Is that his name for the Lakers? Yes. Did I just? Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. I said I thought I said Tayshawn Prince at first. I was like, wait, he doesn't. <laughs> no, play you're anymore. good. Yeah, yo, you said he doesn't. Play. Man, that's you know, a Tayshawn. That's Tayshawn a blast Prince to the, would, from the to the past, man. Yeah, that like, is wait, a blast did I just from say the past. An old player's name? No, Tayshawn Prince would fit in nice on the the Pistons or in the Pacers as well. So. Oh man, they would they would love <laughs> oh, to have abs- that dude on the wing Absolutely. Yeah, but a, a lesser version of that is Torian Prince, who the Lakers have right now, and they need to add guys like that. So I think there are some moves right. away from, you know, like Sam said, there there are some moves away from competing with Philly and Boston and Miami and the powerhouses in the Eastern Conference, but they're definitely trending in the right uh, Yeah, direction. and we could still see them. I, oh, sorry. Uh, we, we could still see them swing for the no, fences ahead, here um, to – I don't want to say salvage this season as in they're having a bad season or anything. I mean, they're having a great season. It's definitely a step in the right direction. But I think it would almost be an error for the Pacers to force a trade and an attempt to win this year as compared to the next two or three years. Um, I think you use this as a development year, which is not a wasted year by any means, but it's, it's a step in the right direction without necessarily taking that leap. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. slow it down. See what you have. See, you know, you got to see Tyrese and Pascal on the floor together to see what other pieces they need. You know, to to boost the level of play for the entire team. So you got to see what what you have and what you need still. So what else we got? Uh, I listened to Draymond's apology podcast today, <laughs> earlier today, and <laughs> man. If he hasn't learned his lesson yet after all this, I don't think he ever will because it, it was kind of sad hearing what he put his family through. I mean, his daughter is getting made fun of at school because obviously she goes to school in the Bay Area and all of her friends and classmates are Warriors fans and they're blaming their struggle of play on Draymond's daughter and apparently his wow. wife was getting death threats and Steve Kerr showed up to his house and they cried uh, <laughs> I don't know, just imagining Draymond and Steve Kerr in each other's arms crying about <laughs> Draymond punching someone on the court. It is funny. 
it is very funny, but it is a weird situation. Uh, Draymond did seem to learn his lesson, though. I was ready to turn it off because he was saying some boneheaded things, but he got to a point or to the part of, part of the podcast where he said uh, that when Kevin Durant came out and said, Kevin Durant came out and said, uh, he wasn't like this when I was there. I really hope he gets some help. And Draymond said, initially, that pissed him off a lot, which I was like, well, that's you have no right to be mad about yeah. anything. And then he right. said he was viewing the word help as something negative when he needed to change his perception on it as help being something positive. You got to be willing to let other voices in and take criticism and advice from your teammates and coaches and people in your life. And after it affected your own family is dealing with your dumb decisions you made on a basketball court, you got to learn your lesson at some point, right? I mean, if, if it, if Draymond goes on the basket, goes on a basketball court and gets ejected for violence again, at what point do you just, as a team, are you just like, we can't have this guy on our roster? I, I don't know. It's just perplexing to me. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's a, it's a weird situation. And, he said he contemplated retirement after that suspension got levied, and of course people were saying, oh, so he, the league told him he can't punch people, so now he wants to retire, and blah, blah, blah. Like, There's a <laughs> lot of jokes. Obviously, some idiots on the internet are going to take it too far and and bring it towards the players' families, and you know, anytime there's death threats over any sporting event, that's obviously uncalled for. Um, but at what point, like, I, I don't know, with the Grizzlies – season kind of being hamstrung they're not really in this conversation anymore but you look at teams that have kind of been a little chippy with the Warriors in the last few years um I mean man the Suns included uh they got big trash talkers on that team and he got ultimately suspended for that hitting use of Nurkic at what point if you're especially a big man on an opposing team are is your primary goal going into the game to rile up Draymond and get him to do something to you that'll just get him suspended again. I mean, maybe not primary goal, but these players. I mean, that's how right. the Cavaliers won an NBA. Championship. It is, yeah. If if they, you're, they knew they could get in Draymond's head and get him suspended, and they ultimately. Did oh that. yeah, if you're Dylan Brooks in Houston right now, you got to be licking your chops, looking ahead, like, man, I can get this guy like kicked out of the league because you know how Dylan Brooks is. Like, I just, I don't know. Maybe on a regular game basis, but I don't know how much I can. Trust Draymond if I'm the Warriors, if you're playing against teams with a guy like that, to be like, hey, do you pull him as soon as things start getting chippy? How does that mess with your offense? Which, and I mean, both sides of the ball, the Warriors desperately need his help right now. They're slumping bad, but uh, it's a tough situation. Yeah, I agree. What even is the solution for the Warriors at this point? Because Wiggins is on a big contract for the next, I think, two or three years, so he's kind of untradeable right now. Maybe a team would want to buy low on him. Maybe you could get a team to take on his contract. I mean, Draymond, they were bad on defense with him and without him in the games where he's he's been suspended a lot of games this year, and they haven't looked good with without him or really with him. So he's not impacting the defensive side like he used to. Like, were there signs of this happening last season when they barely got out of the first round against a, a young Sacramento team and then got played off the court by the Lakers who then got swept by the Nuggets like that just shows the Warriors weren't weren't even close last year and they look even worse this year so I think there there were signs last year that this dynasty and this roster as constructed is no longer 
even close to the contending teams in the NBA. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I I think uh, Sam mentioned, you know, Toronto turning the corner on the rebuild. I mean, if things go south uh, the second half of the season and, you know, the Warriors get bounced from the playoffs unceremoniously, I think you have to start looking at doing the same thing in, in Golden State because that roster is not getting any younger. Um, you have to move off Draymond. I mean, I think that's I, I think that's pretty apparent after this season, no matter how well he behaves himself. I've been calling for them to move off of him, you know, uh, before the season even started. And the question with Draymond is, is somebody going to pay him the money? I mean, is he the kind of player that's going to demand that four-year Eighty to ninety million dollar contract that he's he's gonna want. Well, he uh, just got that this I, last summer. Uh, cor- correct. So I mean, he's already got a huge bag. To me, I, I think Draymond's best days are behind him. And truthfully, I think Charles Barkley and Shaq are just keeping the seats warm at TNT because <laughs> I'm telling you right now. That's where Draymond's going to end up in, in in two or three years. He's going to be doing TV. I don't know if it'll be on TNT, but th- that guy is smart enough and talented enough and knows the game well enough. He's going to be a great NBA analyst. And personally, I-, I think that's where his future is, you know, after this season. Man, imagining him at the table with Shaq and, and Chuck. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> I, I really hope that that happens. I think he did sign a deal with Fox, Fox Sports, though, so I don't know if that okay. is, is realistic. Right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works, but I mean, dude, that would be awesome. Oh yeah, and Draymond would kill. Yeah. It. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if the Warriors are in a slightly different spot than the Raptors here, because just because they have Stephen Curry, who is certainly he's been slumping along right. with the Warriors, but uh, I would try if I'm the Warriors and you know a rebuild's coming on the horizon. Regardless, I am dealing just about everyone I can to give Steph one more shot. Um, one right. more real shot. Yeah, you got it. You got to. And you're looking at their roster now, and what team, especially as we approach the trade deadline here in just about a month, there's going to be teams that are almost contenders, like, the, I mean, hopefully the Pacers don't push for that, but like the Pacers who are going like, man, we could really use a Clay Thompson or a Draymond Green or an Andrew Wiggins who have all been – well, two of them have been underperforming. One of them just hasn't been able to be on the court. Um, but but those three guys, they're as proven veterans of title teams. Uh, they could look be set as enticing pieces for near contenders, and they could be selling them at a premium here uh, by mid February if they really wanted to commit to that. How about uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Sam? Uh, you texted in the group chat. Uh, what he said about his head coach. I, I've never seen a player come out, especially <laughs> a young player, come out and say that about his head coach. What, so wait, what exactly happened there? I, I'm not too familiar yeah, with Yeah, so the game, they were playing, it was a primetime game uh, about a week or two ago here. I can't remember who it was. But Kaminga was like the leading scorer, scorer for the Warriors, or at least the leading non-Stephen Curry scorer for the Warriors. And... Steve Kerr pulled him like he normally did, like his normal rotations, took him out of the game in the middle of the third quarter with 18 minutes left, right? So normally they'll sit him for that, maybe the start of the fourth, and then put him back in. And then Steve Kerr told the media, 
at the end of the game, yeah, um, he, he had been sitting for too long, so we figured he was cold and didn't want to throw him back in. Like, dude, you are the one who sat him for too long. So, of course, like, <laughs> like it's not some, you know, you're the one who did that. So that was the game Kaminga was upset about, and he went straight to, I think it was Shams, and, oh, what did he say? Um, let me find the direct quote here. He said he, like, lost faith. He doesn't know if he has faith in... Yeah, he, like, lost faith in his rotations, and he'd never been done like that as a player, and I, I mean, I have certainly never heard a coach say that, yeah, he was sitting for too long, so we didn't put him back in. I don't think I'd ever heard that before, but I, I if you're the Warriors, I'd want to keep him because he's... Certain. I mean, you can argue he's the second best player on their roster right now, as as he's currently yeah, he's, performing, and he has a very bright future he's like too. One of the few bright spots on that team. Yeah, I'm giving him all the minutes he right. wants. Um, and I would I would be hesitant to trade him unless something like amazing is on the table that you think, man, we could win this whole thing right now. Um, but yeah, I don't know if the Warriors got to commit here because if they don't commit to something by February, there's a very real chance they miss the playoffs, and then this thing is just going to end organically in disaster. So I, I I would like to see them kind of push the issue here, but who knows? Right, right. Yeah. So so Jake, how about this? In the next twenty three days, I, I'm I'm just going to call my shot. We're going to see, and you guys understand all of the contract machinations way, way better than I do, and whether or not a team can move off a guy or another team might be interested, you know, in taking on his contract. But I I would not be surprised within the next three weeks if you saw the Lakers find a way to get Clay in a Lakers uniform. Okay. All right. I could see that happening. Can yeah, that, that can would... that happen? His, his his old man has ties to the team. He's part of the broadcast. I mean, he grew up in that area, you know, in that LA right. area. Yeah. I, I don't think it's yeah, I don't think it's too far fetched that he might be wearing a Laker uniform. And how much does that change? And he hasn't had a great year. Let's not think he's going to be the cure all for what's been an average Laker team, but uh Come playoff time, I think they wouldn't mind having him in a Laker uniform. Yeah, no, I I could see that happening, but, I mean, Mike Dunleavy is the GM of, of the Warriors right now. He, is he really going to go up to Steph and be like, hey, we're thinking about trading Clay Thompson? <laughs> what, right. like, what reaction is Steph going to have to that? Because that's the other thing. It's like, Steph, we're losing games. We're this team is not good enough to win you a championship right now. We're trying to win you a championship. We know that you love playing ball with Clay and Draymond and and your buddies that you've won championships with, but right now it's the team is not unless you just want to play with them and not win a championship, that's fine. We won't make the trade, but if you want the team to get better, you want to play with Austin Reeves and uh, Rui Hachimura, they're an upgrade from Draymond and Clay Thompson right now. Right now, yes they are. Right. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, that that could happen. But I've also heard some rumors that the Lakers have been tied to DeJounte Murray. The Lakers and the Heat are the two teams that I've yeah. heard things about, you know, looking for DeJounte Murray. I don't really see the fit with the Lakers. I do, however, see a fit in Miami. Eric Spolstra, I mean, he can unlock DeJounte's defensive potential with his long arms, and he's led the NBA in steals multiple years. Like, he's a good defensive player when he's engaged. And if there's any 
you know, franchise or coach that can get that out of DeJounte Murray. It's the Miami Heat. And they, the Heat definitely need a ball handler. You know, they need someone that can dribble the ball other than, you know, Tyler Hero kind of can. Kyle Lowry can if he's playing on any given night. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. The Heat definitely need an upgrade at the one or two spot. And we can ask Sam about that. Have you heard anything about the DeJounte Murray? Uh, a little bit about that. I haven't seen anything as to what the Heat would be including in that. I mean, you you would figure it would be something similar to the uh, – the well, as the Heat fans like to call it now, the Dame package that they were thinking about this summer. Yeah, like a light um, version of the Dame. I've package. All, if they don't want to swing that uh, that hard, I guess I've just saw something today that Terry Rozier would like to play in Miami. So you might see quietly averaging twenty four points quiet, a game. In yeah, and obviously that would dip in Miami. You wouldn't get as many shots, but that could be someone that you could get while offering up less. Um, I also just seen as how I'm not buying into any of these because we've seen how the Heat have reacted to these big trade rumors the last couple seasons. Um, they've the Heat have just started giving serious run to Nikola Jovic, um, whose defensive effort is greatly improved and still is. I mean, he's two years younger than their rookie this year and Jaime Jaquez. So I I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if. It's hard for me. I haven't really thought about it too much because I just don't believe that they're going to do anything too substantial. Yeah, and it's not like the Heat to make trades and moves in the middle of a season. As And as they'll make know, smaller Sam. ones. Like I remember last year they picked up uh, Kevin Love and, and Cody Zeller, like fill immediate gaps. But to make a big swing in the middle of the season, I um, I could see it happening, but my guess is it won't. Yeah, and it's not like the the wheels have fallen off in Miami either. It's not like they have to make a trade. Right, right. But, you know, they're they're not blowing people out of the water. They're not obvious favorites to come out of the East right now, even though they, they still have a chance. But, you know, that's they just why... Need to, they just need to get healthy and play with the same five. Uh, yeah. Night. I mean, that's their biggest that's, challenge That's right their now. biggest issue. And, I, I mean, for all this talk, we know it's going to come down to heat Celtics at some point in the postseason so um they basically just have to look at Boston and go do we think what we have right now is enough to beat Boston or or Milwaukee or heck maybe Philadelphia is actually for real this year all right so I know Sam's got to get out of here in a couple minutes so I wanted to finish off uh with some talk on the Pistons so Monday was (laughs) Martin Luther King junior day in the NBA they honor him with a slate of games and the NBA decided that Pistons versus Spurs would be a great way to honor the late Martin Luther King Jr. So in 76 years of the NBA, no two teams have faced off at this point of the season with as few wins as these teams had. I think they combined for seven wins together when <laughs> yep, that game was yeah, played. I think so. Yeah. So that so technically that was the worst matchup in NBA history. <laughs> I, I guess you could say that. That is insane. In, in other news, I, I did start off the episode saying that the Pistons traded and uh, moved on from Marvin Bagley and Isaiah Livers to free up cap space this offseason because we know that big-name free agents are obviously dying to get into Detroit oh, of course. and into that franchise, right. and they're going to want to sign there, obviously. They need to free up as much cap space as possible. God. So that move just confused me. It made, They gave up two second-rounders. As a team with three wins— 
Is it three wins? Am I right in saying uh, that? They're at four now after beating the Wizards on Monday. At four. My bad. I think they're four up to wins. four. Yeah. Yeah. Four wins. Okay. As a team with four wins at this point of the season, you do not trade draft picks, even if they are second rounders. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So I. That is just, I needed to get that off my chest. That and, and uh, one other thing with that uh, Pistons-Wizards game on, on Monday, like Jake was mentioning, uh, earlier in the season, or wait, did I say piss? I think I said piss. You Spurs. did, yeah. But uh, they, I meant, I meant wizards. I'm no, sorry. you're all good. They're yeah, they're running against the wizards. Who, yeah, at the time they had the Pistons had three wins, and the Wizards I think had either six or seven. Um, and Kyle Kuzma earlier this year, in the midst of the Pistons' record-breaking losing streak, said, "At this point, uh, I'm just glad we're not them, or we're just trying not to be them, or something like that." as if the Wizards didn't have, like, two more wins in them at the time. And and then the Pistons go into Washington and, and beat the Wizards pretty comfortably by 12. Kuzma and Jordan Poole combined for um, only 37 points, six assists. Uh, I haven't looked at the shooting splits, but I'm sure they were atrocious. Um, just a little bit of uh, seeing these two irrelevant, this year irrelevant teams going at it and and seeing Kyle Kuzma kind of eat it was uh, was definitely interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a good way to end the episode. We we are anti Pistons here at Tough Buckets, obviously. <laughs> Until I mean, we were on that. Oh, we were on that train way before Man, this season. It, oh I yeah, mean, going back to when we first started this podcast, the middle of last year, especially. And I'm anti Pistons until they start to make a positive trend, right? As a fan of a often bad football team, to see teams not progressing or having a clear plan really just bothers me. So until they make some clear moves that they have a direction we're going to be anti-pistons over here yeah of course of course so any thoughts uh before we wrap this up guys no i gotta i'm all good no no i'm good sam's sam's got to break out and, and and earn some money he's got got to get to work i yeah.